0: Please remain standing for today's scripture reading. Scripture today is from Matthew 8, verses 18 through 22. Hear these words. Now, when Jesus saw great crowds around him, he gave orders to go to the other side. A scribe then approached and said, teacher, I will follow you wherever you go. And Jesus said to him, foxes have holes, birds of the air have nests, but the Son of Man has no place to lay his head. Another of his disciples said to him, Lord, first let me go and bury my father. But Jesus said to him, follow me and let the dead bury their own dead. This is the word of God for the people of God. Thanks be to God.
1: Good morning. It's good to be with you all here this morning. If you have been out this summer or you are a visitor, this is our last week to wrap up a series called Things I Wish Jesus Had Never Said. Essentially, Davis, our senior pastor, has left us associate pastors preaching on some of the hardest stuff in scripture, and I wonder if he did it on purpose so he could avoid it. (laughs) We've talked about judgment, we've talked about forgiveness, we've wrestled with our own sins, loving God more than our families, and the list goes on, and I've got news for you. We're wrestling with another hard passage this morning. It's not unlike the passages we have heard this summer in its challenging nature. In fact, in some ways, I think we've saved the hardest for last. But let's start on a lighter note. Who in here has ever seen the classic 1999 film, Runaway Bride? Julia Roberts, Richard Gere, all right, a lot of folks. The storyline goes, you can see her tennis shoes in the picture. The storyline goes that Julia Roberts gets engaged like two, three, four times she plans the wedding, she gets the dress, she's literally walking down the aisle with her to-be husband standing at the altar and she freezes and turns around and runs every time. She has a problem with commitment when it's looking her dead in the eye. When the reality of commitment sinks down into her soul, she runs. The sort of vulnerability that a marriage requires seems to scare her. This maybe isn't too unlike our passage today in a way. It can be pretty easy to get cold feet when a big commitment is asked, to question our thinking, our priorities. So let's take a look. In our passage this morning, you'll notice that the first phrase says, there is a crowd around Jesus, which is a signal to me to ask who is this crowd? Where did they come from and why are they there? If we back up a bit in the eighth chapter of Matthew, we will discover that our passage comes at the end of many stories of miraculous healings. Jesus first heals a man with leprosy. Then he heals a centurion's servant, a Roman official's servant, which is a big deal. Then he heals Peter's mother-in-law. And if that is not enough with a single word, it says, Jesus heals many people who are demon-possessed. I would imagine because of all of these miraculous healings, he has gathered quite the crowd. They are coming to see, who is this Jesus? And they're all juiced up with excitement to see what will happen. Something like a celebrity following. Some really truly are following Jesus and his teachings, but others are there just to see what the commotion is about. And others still see the people following the commotion and then follow them too. I imagine lots of the town folk are there to check it out, standing around, chatting with their neighbor, hoping for another miracle to happen. There's tangible anticipation in the air. But Jesus and his disciples, well, they're packing up. They're ready to head to the other side. The passage says the other side of the sea. They're about to take a voyage. And then someone in the crowd notices that Jesus and his disciples are about to leave a scribe, the text calls him, and he says, "'Teacher, I will follow you wherever you go.'" Now we need to pay attention here. The role of a scribe is important. A scribe would have been used to working a very stable job at home. He's got a cushy life, no major commute, comfortable, homebody kind of work, Maybe a Brentwood kind of life. And suddenly, this scribe is planning to give it all up and follow Jesus. The way he calls Jesus teacher seems to imply that he doesn't even really know Jesus. But yet, he is calling out to follow Christ. Jesus' reply? Foxes have holes and the birds of the air have nests, but the Son of Man has nowhere to his head. The message version says, we aren't sleeping in the best of inns. Are you willing to give up a steady, comfortable, family supporting job at home? You can't work your stable nine to five if you're gonna follow me. You can't have a 10 year life plan, a five year life plan, a one day life plan that's guaranteed because this following me, it's an all in kind of thing. And there isn't some detailed roadmap or checklist you can follow. I imagine this excited crowd hushes. Neighbors shushing each other so they can hear better what this Jesus, who's supposed to be exciting, has said. It's interesting to me that there isn't a recorded response from the scribe. Did he, hearing Jesus' words, sink back into the crowd, not willing to give up the comfort of his current lifestyle, or did he pick up his bag and go stand with Jesus, ready to go despite Jesus' warning? Or is he standing there stunned? I mean, truly, he's somewhat stunned. Jesus didn't exactly give him the most warm of welcomes. But what's the scribe's next move? Just as the crowd is probably looking at each other, starting to whisper again, the passage says another of Jesus' disciples, this means that this person knows and follows Jesus. Knowing Jesus is about to leave, I imagine, says, Lord, wait, wait. First, let me go and bury my father. And Jesus says to him, follow me and let the dead bury their own dead. And I imagine in that moment, that onlooker is looking over at fellow onlooker, with stunned looks on their faces. Wait, I'm sorry. What, what did he just say? What did that Jesus guy just say? Confused and, and stunned gasps all around. Did Jesus, the guy who has been healing all these people, really just say that? To be clear, this statement of Jesus that this disciple should let somebody else bury his dad is just as hardened and harsh as we think it is. In fact, many scholars argue that many Jewish people at the time considered honoring parents as the supreme command. It was a Mosaic commandment to respect one's parents and thus bury one's parents. Even a priest set aside his priestly duty to bury his mother or father. It would have been essentially unthinkable to say what Jesus had said. Now, we can take this passage as hyperbole. Jesus is talking in the extreme, so we'll meet him in the middle. Just to make a point, he doesn't really mean that this guy can't go bury his father. He's just saying following Jesus is important. Yeah, it could be that. And we could take Jesus at his word. And we can really wrestle with what we wish he had never said. Looking at the Greek, it doesn't imply it is hyperbole and scholars debate back and forth. But honestly, I'm not sure it would really make a difference in the end of the day. Because no matter what, the shock factor is still there. No matter what, a man who is probably grieving the loss of his father opens himself up to Jesus. And Jesus' reply is to let the dead bury their own dead. I mean, truly, it's a stunning sort of passage. Why wouldn't Jesus just say, sure, that seems important, spiritually important, religiously important. Meet up with us in a couple of days. Seems fair, but he doesn't. And that's what makes this passage so difficult to deal with. As we said in our own call to worship this morning, Jesus is asking people to follow him or people are calling out that they will follow him over and over again. So what's so different about someone saying they will follow Jesus this time when we read it? Well, what makes this so different and so hard to hear is the utter vulnerability that Jesus demands in a life of discipleship. One of Jesus' own disciples vulnerably opens up that he wants to stay behind, and Jesus demands that a life of Christian discipleship requires even more vulnerability. Jesus says, follow me. That word Jesus says, follow, as in follow me, is the Greek word akulethe, This word is a combination of the a negating prefix, meaning it places a no or a not before whatever follows it. And the word kaluthos, which means road or path. Meaning follow literally means no road or path. Which is interesting because Jesus is saying follow, which I would think means to infer that there should be a path path to follow but there is no path with Jesus not in the clear easy way following Jesus isn't just following a marked out path following Jesus means a commitment to pursuing Jesus so fiercely so closely so vulnerably that Jesus literally becomes your path and everything else falls away Like when you're wandering around out in the yard in the dark at night and become so consumed with the little flashlight beam that leads you, you can't get anywhere without it. You must become so consumed with Christ. You can't go anywhere without him. I was talking with one of our lay people the other day who has been spending a lot of time at healing housing. If you don't know, Healing Housing is one of our strategic ministry partners here at Brentwood. It's a recovering home for women who have struggled with addiction. This layperson and I were talking about her experience there serving, about building relationships with the women. And this laywoman said something along the lines of, you know, I don't know, Allison. It's like I can't unsee what I have seen. I asked her to tell me more and she went on to describe how the women living there are up against so many odds. First of all, their struggles with addiction were often deeply intertwined with childhood, physical, emotional, or even sexual abuse. It wasn't as if they were a product of their own laziness or a lack of willpower or a desire for a thrill or some stereotypical trope. They've lived hard lives at no fault of their own, and then these women, when they're on the road to recovery, when they've really dealt with this trauma, they have huge odds still stacked against them. They work so hard to get sober, but there is still such a long ways to go. For instance, to get a car, they need a job. To get to a job, they need a car. To get a car, they need money, so they need a job, so... You get the point. There are multiple instances in which they are stuck in these awful cyclical traps that unfairly prevent them from full healing. And this layperson, learning of these stories and connecting with these women, seeing what life is really like for them, she's found that she can't just get in her car and drive around without thinking of these women and how they can't even afford a $500 car. She can't just go shopping for the clothes she needs for an event or go to the store and grab whatever groceries she wants for the week without thinking of these women and how they struggle to afford even appropriate work clothes and basic groceries. She can't see the world without seeing it through the eyes of those who suffer. She can't unsee what God has revealed to her. In fact, I think she would say that the path of simply showing up to serve has disappeared. And she's landed in this vulnerable, difficult, soul-bearing sort of work. She's landed in the life of discipleship. Jesus has asked her and is asking all of us to fall so in love with him that we can't unsee what he places before us. We can't turn our back to our worldly comforts for comfort in the same way. We can't go about our daily lives without being reminded of Jesus's commands to love the poor, the sick, the orphan, the widow, the stranger, the person whose society has turned away. Maybe you've had similar experiences yourselves or have been close to someone experiencing deep suffering. Once you see it, once you allow yourselves to see suffering, to feel it in a way that leaves you stunned and raw and vulnerable, you realize that following Jesus is way more than a commitment in the list of commitments you've made. And we know that. I mean, intellectually, we know that. And even spiritually, we know that Jesus is important, but man, it is so easy to get caught up in life and that word, vulnerability, mm I do not like that. To close off that spiritual vulnerable side of ourselves and plow forward and get the things done that need to be done, that's easier. But following Jesus is an active pursuit that requires us to prioritize Jesus so much so that even the most important of commitments in this world failed to live up to their supposed importance. Now we're not told how the scribe or the disciple responds in our passage, but we're left to see ourselves in the story. We are the scribe and the disciple challenged by Jesus's words. We are the crowd in the story. How do we respond to Jesus? Do we pack up our bags and go home? Do we get halfway down the aisle and turn around and run? Do we decide it's just too much and turn the other way? What does it mean to be a follower of Christ? If there's one thing I've been reminded of in this series, it's that the journey of faith is not easy or straightforward. We want it to be, I want it to be. We want to say we should forgive and love and not judge and love Jesus more than anything, and that make total sense. But at the end of the day, sometimes it just doesn't. This journey to fulfill God's will in our lives will no doubt be filled with great joy and happiness. But it will also be filled with hardships and difficulty and questions and doubt. It might be filled with friends and family turning away from us For what we claim, moments of conviction and call that are uncomfortable and awkward and that can seem intimidating and awful and make us want to run away screaming. This is a reality. But if we turn back to our passage, there's comfort in the midst of this calling to be a disciple. There is hope, and I bring this up not to take away from such a difficult passage, but to remind us that we do indeed this morning worship a God of hope and resurrection. Right after the passage we read today, the disciples and Jesus got onto a boat to go out to sea, and a horrendous storm comes up. The disciples panic and beg Jesus to save them, and Jesus calms the storm. When Jesus invites us into difficult and hard places, into the storms of life, Jesus never forsakes us. He is there with the disciples and he calms that storm and he is standing right here with us today. This journey of faith will have its ups and downs. The future is unsure and out of control, but what is sure is that Jesus will be with us in every moment. Every dark place, every question, and every doubt, every joy, and every celebration. So, in the midst of all of these difficult words we've been reading, that we wish Jesus had never said, remember we have the inbreaking of so many promises from God. God is the bringer of peace, the calm of the storm. God is the bread of life and the cup of salvation. May you feel the call to open yourself vulnerably, fully to Christ, even in the midst of difficult words. And when life brings you challenges, may you be strengthened by Christ to share his love with the world.
0: Amen.